0: What you are about to listen to was created with an artificial voice for the audiobook initiative on Sermon Audio. There may be mispronunciations or occasional repetitions. To report a mistake, please email us at info at sermonaudio.com and include the sermon ID or title of the message and the time at which the error occurs. We will do our best to get it corrected for future listeners grace abounding to the chief of sinners brief and faithful relation of the exceeding mercy of god in christ to his poor servant john bunyan wherein is particularly showed the manner of his conversion his sight and trouble for sin his dreadful temptations also how he despaired of god's mercy and how the Lord at length through Christ did deliver him from all the guilt and terror that lay upon him, whereunto is added a brief relation of his call to the work of the ministry, of his temptations therein, as also what he hath met with in prison, all which was written by his own hand there, and now published for the support of the weak and tempted people of God. Come and hear, all ye that fear God, and I will declare what he hath done for my soul. Psalm 66, 16. Or a brief and faithful relation of the exceeding mercy of God in Christ to his poor servant, John Bunyan, namely in his taking of him out of the Dunhill and converting of him to the faith of his blessed Son, Jesus Christ. Here is also particularly showed What sight of and what trouble he had for sin, and also what various temptations he hath met with, and how God hath carried him through them, corrected and much enlarged now by the author for the benefit of the tempted and dejected Christian. Advertisement by the editor. The great utility of remarkable accounts of the ways of God in bringing his sheep into the fold must be admitted by all. The Bible abounds with these manifestations of divine grace from the gentle voice that called Samuel even unto the thunder which penetrated the soul of one who followed the church with continued malignity, calling unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? A voice so terrible and accompanied by such a flood of light as to strike the persecutor to the earth, and for a season to deprive him of sight. The grace abounding to the chief of sinners is doubly interesting as it unfolds to us not only the return of a notorious prodigal, but a wondrous system of education by which a chosen man was fitted for a wondrous work, heavenly and spiritual learning, which could not have been obtained in all the schools and universities in the world. It enabled a poor, vile, unlettered rebel, a blasphemous traveling tinker, to become a most eminent preacher, one whose native powers, sanctified by harrowing but hallowing feelings, attracted the deep attention of the most learned and pious of his contemporaries, while it carried conviction to the most impious and profane. Even beyond all this, His spiritual acquirements fitted him, without scholastic learning, to become the most popular, the most attractive, the most useful of English authors. His works increase remarkably in popularity. As time rolls on, they are still read with deeper and deeper interest, while his bodily presence and labors mingle in the records of the events of bygone ages. Bunyan's account of his singular trials and temptations may have excited alarm in the minds of some young Christians, lest they should be in an unconverted state because they have not been called to pass through a similar mode of training. Pray recollect, my dear young Christian, that all are not called to such important public labors as Bunyan or Whitfield or Wesley. All the members of the Christian family are trained to fit them for their respective positions in the Church of Christ. It is a pleasant and profitable exercise to look back to the day of our espousals and trace the operations of divine grace in digging us from the hole of the pit. But the important question with us all should be, not so much, how we became enlightened, but now do we love Christ? Now, do we regret our want of greater conformity to His image? If we can honestly answer these questions in the affirmative, we are believers and can claim our part in that precious promise, whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Spiritual life is ours. And eternal life is essentially connected with it and must be our portion without an inquiry into the means by which we were called, whether by the thunders and lighting of Sinai, as Paul was smitten, or by the still small voice, Though the value of such a narrative to a terror-stricken prodigal is vividly shown by Bunyan, in his Jerusalem sinner saved, In one of those colloquial pieces of composition in which he eminently shone, Satan is loath to part with a great sinner. What, my true servant, quoth he, my old servant, wilt thou forsake me now? Having so often sold thyself to me to work wickedness, wilt thou forsake me now? Thou horrible wretch, dost not know that thou hast sinned thyself beyond the reach of grace and dost think to find mercy now. Art not thou a murderer, a thief, a harlot, a witch, a sinner of the greatest size? And dost thou look for mercy now? Dost thou think that Christ will foul his fingers with thee? It is enough to make angels blush. Seth satan to see so vile a one-knock at heaven gates for mercy and wilt thou be so abominably bold to do it thus satan dealt with me says the great sinner when at first i came to jesus christ and what did you reply saith the tempted why i granted the whole charge to be true says the other and what did you despair or how no saith he i said I am Magdalene, I am Zacchaeus, I am the thief, I am the harlot, I am the publican, I am the prodigal and one of Christ's murderers. Yea, worse than any of these. And yet God was so far off from rejecting of me as I found afterwards that there was music and dancing in his house for me and for joy that I was come home unto him. O blessed be God for grace, says the other, for then I hope there is favor for me. The grace abounding is a part of Bunyan's prison meditations and strongly reminds us of the conversation between Christian and hopeful on the enchanted ground. Christian, now then, to prevent drowsiness in this place, let us fall into good discourse. Hopeful, with all my heart. Christian, Where shall we begin, hopeful, where God began with us? To prevent drowsiness, to beguile the time, he looks back to his past experience, and the prison became his Patmos, the gate of heaven, a Bethel, in which his time was occupied in writing for the benefit of his fellow Christians. He looks back upon all the wondrous way through which the Lord had led him from the city of destruction to Mount Zion. While writing his own spiritual pilgrimage, his great work broke upon his imagination, and thus it was. I, writing of the way and race of saints, in this our gospel day, fell suddenly into an allegory about their journey and the way to glory. As you read the grace abounding, you are ready to say at every step, here's the future author of the pilgrim's progress. It is as if you stood beside some great sculptor and watched every movement of his chisel, having seen his design, so that at every blow some new trait of beauty in the future statue comes clearly into view. Great difference of opinion has been expressed by learned men as to whether Bunyan's account of himself is to be understood literally as it respects his bad conduct before his conversion or whether he views himself through a glass by which his evil habits are magnified. No one can doubt his perfect honesty. He plainly narrates his bad as well as his redeeming qualities. Nor does his narrative appear to be exaggerated. He was the son of a traveling tinker, probably a gypsy, the meanest and most despised rank in the land. When, alarmed at his sins, Recollection that the Israelites were once the chosen people of God, he asked his father whether he was of that race, as if he thought that his family were of some peculiar people, and it was easy for such a lad to blend the Egyptians with the Israelitish race. When he was defamed, his slanderers called him a witch, or fortune teller, a Jesuit, a highwayman, or the like. Brought up to his father's trade, with his evil habits unchecked, he became a very depraved lad. And when he states his sad character, it is with a solemn pledge that his account is strictly true. Probably with a view to the full gratification of his sinful propensities, he entered the army and served among the profligate soldiers of Charles I at the siege of Leicester. During this time, he was ill at ease. He felt convinced of sin or righteousness and of judgment without a hope of mercy. Hence his misery and internal conflicts, perhaps the most remarkable of any upon record. His own giant despair seized him with an iron grasp. He felt himself surrounded by invisible beings and in the immediate presence of a holy God. By day he was bewildered with tormenting visions, and by night alarming dreams presented themselves to him upon his bed. The fictitious appeared to his terrified imagination realities. His excited spirit became familiar with shapeless forms and fearful powers. The sorrows of death and the pains of hell got hold upon him. His internal conflict was truly horrible, as one who thought himself under the power of demons. They whispered in his ears, pulled his clothes. He manly fought, striking at imaginary shades with his hands and stamping with his feet at the destroyer. Thoughts of the unpardonable sin beset him. His powerful bodily frame became convulsed with agony, as if his breastbone would split and he burst asunder like Judas. He possessed the most prolific mind, affording constant nourishment to this excited state of his feelings. He thought that he should be bereft of his wits. Then a voice rushed in at the window like the noise of wind, very pleasant and produced a great calm in his soul. His intervals of ease, however, were short. The recollection of his sins and a fear that he had sold his Savior haunted his affrighted spirit. His soul became so tormented as to suggest to his ideas the suffering of a malefactor broken upon the wheel. The climax of these terrors is narrated at paragraph number 187. Thus was I always sinking, whatever I did think or do. So one day I walked to a neighboring town and sat down upon a settle in the street and fell into a very deep pause about the most fearful state my sin had brought me to. And after long musing, I lifted up my head. but. Me thought I saw as if the sun that shineth in the heavens did grudge to give light, and as if the very stones in the street and tiles upon the houses did bend themselves against me. Methought that they all combined together to banish me out of the world. I was abhorred of them and unfit to dwell among them or be a partaker of their benefits because I had sinned against the Savior in this deep abyss of misery that love which has heights and depths passing knowledge laid under him the everlasting arms and raised him from the horrible pit in mire clay when no human powers could have reached his case dr cheever eloquently remarks that it was through this valley of the shadow of death overhung by darkness peopled with devils resounding with blasphemy and lamentations and passing amidst quagmires and pitfalls, close by the very mouth of hell, that Bunyan journeyed to that bright and fruitful land of Beulah, in which he sojourned during the latter days of his pilgrimage. The only trace which his cruel sufferings and temptations seemed to have left behind them was an affectionate compassion for those who were still in the state in which he had once been. Young Christians, you must not imagine that all these terrors are absolute prerequisites to faith in the Savior. God, as a sovereign, calls his children to himself by various ways. Bunyan's was a very extraordinary case, partly from his early habits. His excitable mind, at a period so calculated to fan a spark of such feelings into a flame. His extraordinary inventive faculties, softened down and hallowed by this fearful experience, became fitted for most extensive usefulness. To eulogize this narrative would be like gilding refined gold. But I cannot help remarking, among a multitude of deeply interesting passages, his observations upon that honest, open avowal of Christian principles, which brought down severe persecution upon him. They excite our tenderest sympathy. His being dragged from his home and wife and children, he says, hath oft been to me as the pulling my flesh from my bones. My poor blind child, what sorrow art thou like to have for thy portion in this world? Thou must be beaten, must beg, suffer hunger, cold, nakedness, and a thousand calamities, though I cannot now endure, the wind should blow upon thee. Oh, I saw I was as a man who was pulling down his house upon the head of his wife and children. Yet, recollecting myself, thought I, I must venture you all with God. How awful must be the state of the wretched persecutor, who occasioned such sufferings to the children of the Most High God. In this edition, the greatest care has been taken to preserve the exact words of the author as he first published them. Where he altered or added to the text in subsequent editions, it is marked with an inverted comma or inserted in the notes. Obsolete words and customs are explained. The numbering of his sections is continued, in addition to which it is divided into chapters for family reading, Upon the plan of the late Rev. J. Ivime, double inverted commas denote quotations of Scripture. The reader is strongly pressed to keep in his recollection the peculiar use made of the word should by the author in this narrative. It is from the Saxon sealan to be obliged. Thus in the Saxon Gospels the governor should release unto the people a prisoner. In our version, it is was wont to release, meaning the custom compelled him so to do. In Bunyan's phraseology, the word should is used in the same sense, that is to show that under peculiar circumstances, his feelings or position involuntarily produced a certain result. Thus in number six, troubled with the thoughts of judgment and condemnation, I should tremble. And in number 15, the father of his wife having left her two books, in these I should sometimes read, probably the only books he then had. It is remarkable that although the Saxon language had not been spoken in Bedfordshire for many centuries, still many valuable words remained in use. The order in which this thrilling narrative of Bunyan's religious feelings and experiences now for the first time published is one grace abounding to the chief of sinners, his call to the ministry, and his imprisonment for refusing to attend the Church of England service. Two, his relation of the circumstances attending his incarceration in Bedford jail. Three, the continuation of his life to his decease, written by one of his friends and always printed with grace abounding. Four, his dying thoughts. 5. His prison meditations, verses which were probably sold on a broadside or sheet of paper by his children to procure necessaries for his family. The length of the notes may need some apology. The only one the editor can make is his veneration for John Bunyan and his earnest desire to render this inestimable book more deeply interesting by explaining manners, customs, and words not now in use, the note on number 232 occupied the time of one whole day. The errors, omissions, and additions which existed to a most extraordinary extent through the book have been corrected, and the text restored to its primitive beauty. Among many hundred of these errors, one may suffice as a specimen. It is in Bunyan's preface, God did not play in convincing of me. The devil did not play in tempting of me. This is altered in many additions to God did not play in tempting of me. Most earnestly do I hope that this republication now for the first time, for nearly 200 years, given in its native excellence and purity, may be attended with the divine blessing to the comfort of many despairing Jerusalem sinners to the building up of the church of Christ on earth, to the extension of pure, heartfelt, genuine Christianity, and to the confusion of the persecutors. They intended by shutting the pious pilgrim up in a dungeon to prevent his voice from being heard to the comfort of his poor neighbors, and by which violence his persecutors have caused his voice to burst the prison doors and walls and to be heard over the whole world, His Pilgrim's Progress, which was written in prison, has been and now is a guide to Christian pilgrims of all nations, kindreds, tribes, and people, teaching them not to rest content in any national religion, but personally to search the Scriptures with earnest supplications to the God of mercy and truth, that they may be guided to Christ as the Alpha and Omega of their salvation. George Offer preface or brief account of the publishing of this work written by the author thereof and dedicated to those whom God hath counted him worthy to beget to faith by his ministry in the word. Children grace be with you. Amen. I being taken from you in presence and so tied up that I cannot perform that duty that from God doth lie upon me to your ward. For your further edifying and building up in faith and holiness, etc., yet that you may see my soul hath fatherly care and desire after your spiritual and everlasting welfare. I now, once again, as before, from the top of Shaneer and Hermon, so now from the lions' dens, from the mountains of the leopards, do look yet after you all, greatly longing to see your safe arrival into the desired haven. I thank God upon every remembrance of you and rejoice even while I stick between the teeth of the lions in the wilderness at the grace and mercy and knowledge of Christ our Savior, which God hath bestowed upon you with abundance of faith and love, your hungerings and thirstings also after further acquaintance with the Father in His Son, your tenderness of heart your trembling at sin your sober and holy deportment also before both god and men is great refreshment to me for ye are my glory and joy i have sent you here enclosed a drop of that honey that i have taken out of a carcass of a lion i have eaten thereof myself also and am much refreshed thereby temptations when we meet them at first are as the lion that roared upon samson but if we overcome them the next time we see them we shall find a nest of honey within them the philistines understand me not it is something of a relation of the work of god upon my own soul even from the very first till now wherein you may perceive my castings down and raisings up for he woundeth and his hands make whole it is written in the scripture the father to the children shall make known the truth of god Yea, it was for this reason I lay so long at Sinai, to see the fire and the cloud and the darkness, that I might fear the Lord all the days of my life upon earth, and tell of His wondrous works to my children. Moses writ of the journeyings of the children of Israel, from Egypt to the land of Canaan, and commanded also that they did remember their forty years' travel in the wilderness. Thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness, to humble thee, and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep His commandments or no. Wherefore this I have endeavored to do, and not only so, but to publish it also, that, if God will others may be put in remembrance of what he hath done for their souls by reading his work upon me it is profitable for christians to be often calling to mind the very beginnings of grace with their souls it is a night to be much observed unto the lord for bringing them out from the land of egypt this is that night of the lord to be observed of all the children of israel in their generations O my God, saith David, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites, from the hill Mizar. He remembered also the lion and the bear when he went to fight with the giant of Gath. It was Paul's accustomed manner, and that when tried for his life even to open before his judges the manner of his conversion, he would think of that day and that hour in the which he first did meet with grace. For he founded support unto him. When God had brought the children of Israel through the Red Sea, far into the wilderness, yet they must turn quite about thither again to remember the drowning of their enemies there. For though they sang his praise before, yet they soon forget his works. In this discourse of mine you may see much. Much I say of the grace of God towards me. I thank God I can count it much, for it was above my sins and Satan's temptations too. I can remember my fears and doubts and sad months with comfort. They are as the head of Goliath in my hand. There was nothing to David like Goliath's sword, even that sword that should have been sheathed in his bowels. For the very sight and remembrance of that did preach forth God's deliverance to him. Oh, the remembrance of my great sins, of my great temptations, and of my great fears of perishing forever. They bring afresh into my mind the remembrance of my great help, my great support from heaven, and that the great grace that God extended to such a wretch as I. My dear children, call to mind the former days and the years of ancient times. Remember also your psalms in the night and commune with your own heart. Yea, look diligently and leave no corner therein unsearched, for there is treasure hid, even the treasure of your first and second experience of the grace of God toward you. Remember, I say, the word that first laid hold upon you, Remember your terrors of conscience and fear of death in hell. Remember also your tears and prayers to God. Yea, how you sighed under every hedge for mercy. Have you never a hill miser to remember? Have you forgot the close, the milk house, the stable, the barn and the like where God did visit your soul? Remember also the word, the word I say upon which the Lord hath caused you to hope. If you have sinned against light, if you are tempted to blaspheme, if you are down in despair, if you think God fights against you, or if heaven is hid from your eyes, remember it was thus with your Father, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. I could have enlarged much in this my discourse of my temptations and troubles for sin, as also of the merciful kindness and working of God with my soul. I could also have stepped into a style much higher than this in which I have here discoursed and could have adorned all things more than here I have seemed to do. What I dare not? God did not play in convincing of me. The devil did not play in tempting of me. Neither did I play when I sunk as into a bottomless pit, when the pangs of hell caught hold upon me. Wherefore, I may not play in my relating of them, but be plain and simple, and lay down the thing as it was. He that liketh it, let him receive it, and he that does not, let him produce a better. Farewell. My dear children, the milk and honey is beyond this wilderness. God be merciful to you, and grant that you be not slothful to go in to possess the land. John Bunyan.